dismissed with your kids, and we are going to turn to Habakkuk chapter 3. Super quiet this morning, eh? That's okay. Habakkuk chapter 3. Very short little book, hasn't it been? Three little chapters. This is the third sermon and it will conclude a very short series. In Habakkuk chapter 1, just to recap, uh, you have the prophet who is really crying out to God and saying, God, how long will you put up with my fellow Israelites and the way they're acting and the way they're behaving and what they're loving? basically. And when will you punish them, discipline them, uh, prune us, in, so to speak? And like, why aren't you doing anything about this? And so God answers in chapter 1, and He says, actually, uh, Habakkuk, this is my paraphrase, I am at work, and what I'm going to do and what I'm doing, you wouldn't believe it if you saw it. And what was he doing? He was actually raising up a nation called the Chaldeans or the Babylonians, and he was raising them up to come not to prune Judah, but to literally cut off the tree. Just leave a stump. And when Habakkuk hears that, and he hears what they're going to do, and he knows who they are, because he's probably heard about what they do, then he cries out, Lord, I don't get this. This doesn't make sense. You're bringing in somebody far more wicked than us, and you're going to have them punish us. That doesn't make sense. And what about the promise? And he's, he's wrestling with this in the beginning, of, at the end of chapter 1. And then God, he, in his grace, he answers Habakkuk in chapter 2. And he says a couple of things to him. First, he says, um, you know what? Babylon will be punished. I will punish Babylon just as I punished Judah. They will be dealt with, and they'll be dealt with uh, kind of overnight, suddenly. And more than that, he says, I'm going to fill this earth with the knowledge of the glory of God. So he's looking ahead even beyond that. And then in that context, in chapter 2, verse 4, he makes a statement, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Those who are righteous, righteous because God has justified us, declared us righteous, uh, those declared righteous people will live by steadfast trust in the Lord, continually trusting in God. Well, Habakkuk hears that in chapter 2, and, and then we come to chapter 3. And we're told in chapter 3, as Tom has read, uh, verse 1, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. So what we have in front of us in chapter 3 is a prayer. But it's not just a prayer. It's also a poem. We know it's a poem because of the way it's written and the way the Hebrew uh, unpacks it. But it's not just a poem. It's a poem that's meant to be sung. There's a couple of reasons why I say that. Look at the end of verse 1. According to Shigonoth. And all of us should go, what is a Shigonoth? And, and, and all of us will have to, in our humility, go, we don't have no, any idea, nor do the scholars. We see this word in Psalm 7. 
at the beginning of Psalm 7, and it seems to suggest that it has something to do with music. Because David, writing the Psalms, states this word, and then he says this is supposed to be sung. And so it seems to be some expression, maybe giving some reference to how it should be sung, something to that effect. At the very end, you notice when Tom read it, to the choir master with stringed instruments. And so again, Habakkuk is giving um, information to the choir master and says, this is how you should play it. And quite likely, because stringed instrument, it was something to be celebrated, a song that was to be celebrated. And then you noticed uh, three times in this passage, Selah, Selah, and Selah, it says in verse 13 and verse 3, and then again in verse 9. And again, that's a word that uh, we find some 71 times in the, old, in, in the Psalms and some 39 different uh, Psalms, and we're we really not completely sure what it means, but uh, it, it, we think it's probably some word that says pause, and at this point, some musical interlude would take on. But all of these are musical terms. And so what we have in front of here is Habakkuk's prayer that's poetic. And so not only are we supposed to understand the words, but we're to feel it. And it was meant to be sung. Now, as I say those things, I want to draw your attention to Colossians. Uh, In Colossians chapter 3, we read these words... um, The Apostle Paul, he says in verse 15, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. So did you get that? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Now the Hebrew word there is not just our emotional, not just our ticker, and not just our emotions, but our, our mind. Let Christ's peace rule in there. Verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. So we're to get the Word of God in us, let the peace of Christ dwell in us, and then how are we going to do this? Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. Why do I bring that up? Because I think what Habakkuk's doing in chapter 3 is he's actually allowing the peace of God to rule in his mind and his heart He's trying to get the Word of God to to stick in his heart and his mind by singing what the Scriptures have said in the past. I have found uh, fewer things more helpful when I'm going through difficult times to sing to God and to sing God's truths. If you're going through a difficult time and you talk to me about it, I will probably tell you something like this. Get some cue cards, write some songs on it, some psalms or some hymns that you love, that you cherish, that tell you about who God is. Stick it in your pocket and, and sing them when you're driving down the road. Sing them wherever you are because there's something, there's something about music and singing to God and about God that is, is incredibly powerful. Even if your voice sounds like mine. And I think that's what Habakkuk is doing in chapter 3. He's singing to God. Now, Habakkuk's song of faith, I think, can be divided into three, into three, um, or into four verses. 
verses 1 through th- in 1 and 2, uh, the prophet is asking his Lord of something. So if you just follow along and behind me in verse 2 of chapter 3, he simply cries out, O oh Lord, I've heard the report of you and your work, O oh Lord, do I fear? Now, now, it might be that he's, he's reflecting back on chapter 1, verse 5, where he says, Look among the nations and see and wonder and be astounded, for I, God, am doing a work in your days that you would never not believe if I told you. And maybe that's the report that Habakkuk is thinking about, but I actually think that Habakkuk is actually thinking about the report that he's heard from the Scriptures about what God had done in the past in the nation of Israel. And the reason I say that is because of what's going on in verses 3 through 7. And we'll get there. But Habakkuk's going, God, I've heard of what you've done in the past. And I stand in awe. I stand, not so, not so much trembling, I'm scared of you, but I stand in awe I'm, uh, and reverence. I fear you. Psalm 105. The psalmist says this. Just listen if you can. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the peoples. Sing to Him. Sing praises to Him. Tell of His wondrous works. Glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in His strength. Seek His presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that He has done. His miracles and the judgments He's uttered. O offspring of Abraham, His servant. Children of Jacob, His chosen ones. And I think Habakkuk's going, God, you told us in the Psalms many hundred years earlier, you told us to remember what you did in the past and remember them, and that will strengthen us. And I think that's what Habakkuk is doing now. He says, I heard that report, and I literally tremble at your power and stand in awe of who you are. And then in Habakkuk 3, verse 2, the last few lines of that verse he simply says in the midst of the years revive it i think it's the new the net translation simply states uh, in our day in our day revive it revive what those works of old you, you remember the nation how israel was in bondage and in slavery to the egyptians And God, in this incredible, miraculous way, brought them out. He says, God, what you did in the past, would you do it now? Would you revive it? Would you bring it to life? God, in our day, in the midst of the years, would you make it known? Would you help us to see what you have done? Would you help us to see? Would you help us to experience your power? And, oh God, I know that we deserve great punishment, but in your wrath, remember mercy. So Habakkuk is asking God. Prayer is asking. Prayer is asking. We, we, we need Him. We are children and we ask Him for things. And Habakkuk asks God. But um, he doesn't stop there. Habakkuk continues, and in his prayer, he remembers his Lord. Verses 3 through 7. Now, you take a peek at those verses 
in front of you here. Why did we pause and just break that section up? I want you to notice there's these bookends. In verse 3, God came from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. And he mentions two places. Teman's a city in Edom. Mount Paran, we're not completely sure, but we think it's in, in the wilderness of Paran, probably the hills. The only other place it's mentioned is in Deuteronomy. We'll take a peek at that. And then in verse 7, he mentions two other places, the tents of Cushan and the land of Midian. All of those places most likely are speaking of the places in the wilderness where the Israelites wandered for 40 years. Some 900 years earlier, okay, 900 years before Habakkuk, they would have been wandering. And and then I want you to notice in that section, verses 3 through 7, that every time he speaks of God, he speaks of God in the third person. So he says, He stood. His were the everlasting. His splendor. His brightness. Before Him. So He dresses Him. uh, He's talking about Him. Not talking to Him. In verses 3 through 7. And So you kind of get this idea that He's talking about who God is. Or He's remembering what God has done. That's what's going on in verses 3 through 7. Now, now hang with me. This is important. In verse 3, Habakkuk uses a word for God in the the original language that is rarely used. The first time it's used is in Deuteronomy chapter 32, which is at the end of of Moses' life. And Moses is reflecting on what God has done, and he's... And he's telling and reminding the nation of Israel, a new generation, of what God has done. And he uses that word, God. Now, we won't turn there, but we will turn to chapter 33. Because the only other place we see the word Mount Paran is in Deuteronomy chapter 33. If you want to go there, it's the fifth book in the Bible. Just stick your finger in there. We're going to be going there a few times because I think... I think Habakkuk's actually, as he's writing this song, he's got this song in his head, the song of Moses, the final blessing of Moses in Psalm 30, in Deuteronomy 33. You tracking with me? So as Habakkuk is writing in about 600 B.C., he's writing this song that we've just read. In the back of his mind, he's got this song, maybe playing on his uh, Bluetooth speaker, that was written by Moses some 900 years earlier. And in Deuteronomy 33, verse 2, we read, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the ten thousands of holy ones with flaming fire at His right hand. What was Moses talking about? The Lord came. When Moses met God, the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3 and 4, God said to him, I am coming down. And he was coming down to save his people. And then we're told in Exodus 19 
after the people of Israel have been freed from the Egyptians and they are now in the wilderness and they're at this mountain called Mount Sinai in Exodus, well, let's read it, Exodus 19, the second book of the Bible. God comes down again, this time to give the law to his people. Exodus 19, verse 16, On the morning of the third day there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. What Moses describes in Exodus chapter 12, some 40 years later, he reiterates to the new generation and tells them this is what God had done. God showed up. And when God showed up, when God came down, he, he, he revealed himself in some, some incredible ways. The earth was shaking, the, there was smoke, there was fire. Uh, God was, was veiling his glory. He didn't show himself completely because the, the, the Israelites would not have been able to handle that, nor could we have. And so he veiled his glory, but there was something there that was like, the people trembled. And in the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3, Habakkuk is recalling what Moses said. And he says, God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. Verse 4, his brightness was like the light rays flashed from his hands and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed as at his heels. What did he do? He sent, he sent a plague of flies. He, spent, he, he, he killed all the uh, firstborn in, in, the, in the Egyptians. He covered the place with darkness. Uh, he, he covered the land with hail. God did these incredible things and Habakkuk, as he's praying to God, he's saying, God, I remember. I've heard this report. This is who you are. This is what you've done. Verse 7, I saw the tents of cushion and affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Maybe what he's saying there is, God, even the outlying nations, the nation of Midian, their tents were trembling because they also heard what you did. And they weren't even there. So Habakkuk not only asks God, but Habakkuk the prophet remembers his God. And then in verses 8 through 15, Habakkuk the prophet talks to his God. And I say that because the way the language that Habakkuk uses now changes. He's no longer talking about God as his splendor and his brightness and his he stood and his were the everlasting arms. Notice what he does. You strip the sheath from your bull. You split the earth with rivers you march through the earth in fury god you you've done these things he's moving from third person to second person now let, let me help you what we do the same thing 
Sometimes we sing things like, A mighty fortress is our God. We're singing about Him. He's a mighty fortress. And, and that, that's helpful because it reminds us, and as, as we go through our week and we go through our stuff in the week, we're, we're praising God and we're remembering who He is. We're declaring something about Him. But sometimes we just have to talk to Him when we sing, don't we? <laughs> oh, yeah, we do. How about, how about this? Indescribable, uncontainable. You place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are an amazing God. Some of you can sing that way better than I can. Sometimes we just have to sing to Him. God, you are amazing. In the middle of his prayer, Habakkuk stops talking about God and he starts talking to God. And, and it's, it's a song. He's using, he's using some incredibly colorful language to describe what God has done. But even in this, he's still asking God questions. He says in verse 8, Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? When he turned the Nile into blood, Lord, what, were you angry at the river? Is that why you did that? When you open up the Red Sea and we cross across in the Red Sea, God, were you upset with the river and the sea? No. Verse 12 tells us, you marched through the earth in fury, you threshed the nations in anger. God was upset with the unrighteousness of the, the Egyptians. In verse 13, you went out for the salvation of your people. The reason you did these things was to save your people. Who cried to you because they were in slavery. So in verses 8 through 15, Habakkuk is singing to, I think, his warrior God. Notice the language he uses. Verse 8, was your anger against the rivers or your indignant, indignant, whatever that word is, against the sea? When you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation, you stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows, and you split the earth with rivers. It sounds like he's a warrior. And where's he getting that again? Back to Deuteronomy chapter 33. Look at verse 26. This is the prayer, the song, the blessing of Moses at the end of his life. There is none like God, O Jeshurun. That's a word for Israel. There is none like God, O Israel, who rides through the heavens to your help, through the skies in His majesty. Moses, at the end of his life, says, Israel, understand that there is no warrior that is better than your God. Because <laughs> he rides for you. He battles for you. That's what he does. And Habakkuk, he's got this song in his head from Moses, and he goes, God, that's what you have done for your people in the past. I've heard of the report of you and your work, and, oh, Lord, do I fear. 
Habakkuk knows that the Babylonians are coming. He knows that. God has told him that. He's probably been reading the Jerusalem Post and been reading what's been going on all around the world, and they're coming. And wherever they come, they leave devastation. And God says, that's what they're going to do to the nation of Judah. And as Habakkuk faces this devastation by the Babylonian army, he sings to his God, recalling his greater power, his greater chariots, his greater horses. And he says, and he's reminded that no nation shall be able to stand against God when he comes to accomplish the salvation for his people. He knows the Babylonians are coming, but he also knows that someday his God is coming. Now just, just in case you think, oh, this is just all Old Testament stuff and we live in the New Testament and it's such... Let me remind you of the words of Jesus. Jesus speaking of the last days in Matthew chapter 24. Listen, verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days. This is Jesus speaking. The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. In other words, God's going to show up and it's going to affect nature. Then verse 30. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man, that's Jesus, coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And He will send out His angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather His elect from the four winds from one end of the heaven to the other. whether we're just simply reading the news and are, are discouraged by what's going on in the world around us or whether we are going through stuff in our own life, which we all do or all will. I think Habakkuk teaches us, and I think the Scriptures teach us, to pray to the Lord, to remember the Lord, to sing to the Lord, to talk to this God. who will someday come in all of His power and glory and make all things right. Someday every tear will be wiped away. And I know for some of you that's a whole lot of, been a whole lot of tears. Habakkuk doesn't end there. He concludes his prayer, his song, by simply the prophet now trusts in his Lord. Verses 16 through 19, it's probably some of the, the, the most powerful words of faith in all of Scripture. I think it's, it's incredibly astounding what we see in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 16 and 9 through 19. Those words are, after all of his questions, after all of his, his troubles with what's going on, this is how he ends this beautiful book. First, he admits in verse 16 his fear and what's about to come down the pipe. He says, 
God, I, I hear and my body trembles. My, my lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. And he's just simply saying, God, I've heard what you've said. I know it's coming. I know the Babylonians are coming to wipe us out. And I'm scared. I just think that's honesty. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And he, and he speaks to them and he says, uh, Peter, he, Peter began to say to him, see, we've left everything and we followed you. God, we've, we've, we've followed you and it's come at great cost. We've left everything behind and we're following you. And to follow Jesus comes at, cost, at a cost. Now Jesus said to him in verse 29, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. It costs to follow Jesus. And when we follow Jesus, God is going to bless us with all kinds of family and friends and there's going to be all kinds of stuff that he blesses us with particularly people lynn and i have seen that over and over again our, our life is incredibly rich because we follow christ however jesus adds those words with persecutions we as christians are to expect that in following christ it's going to come at a cost And then again, there will be life forever, he says. Those are the words of Jesus. And I think Habakkuk is going, what's coming I tremble, I fear. I think it's okay for us to be afraid, fearful, what, what lies ahead. But then notice what Habakkuk does in verse 17. He acknowledges his loss. Look what he does, this beautiful verse, verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail. If all those things are gone. Now, uh, one of the uh, commentaries, Robertson's commentary, simply says the fig, the fruit, and the olive, those speak to the pleasures in the Judah's lifestyle. So, so, so the fruit, that's where they got their wine from, the olive in a very dry country. That's what they would put on their skin so they would have soft skin in a very dry climate and, and so much more. He says those first three things speak of the, the pleasures that the Jews would have had. And then he says, and the fields yield no fruit, the food, and the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stall. There he's speaking of their needs, their necessities, their food, their, their milk, their meat. In other words, he says, God, if there's no pleasures and there's no necessities of life, and I don't think he's saying if, I think he says when that happens. Because God has already said this is coming. He's acknowledging his loss. And in that context, what does he do, verse 18 and 19? He resolves to trust. He resolves to be thankful. He resolves to be filled with joy. Do you hear that? 
Yet, verse 18, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. I'm going to do this no matter what. I'm going to rejoice in Him. And, and how is He going to do that? How is He doing that? I, I, think I'll, I, think I, I think I know what's going on here. I think He's put on another... Uh, he's playing another song, but not this time, but not, not, not Moses, but David this time. I think he's taking us back and he's got in his brain Psalm 18. Psalm 18 was a psalm that David wrote. That we're told at the beginning of the psalm that David wrote after Saul. He had been rescued from Saul. And it begins by simply saying, I love you, O Lord, my strength. That's how David, a, a man, that's what he says. I love you, O Lord, my strength. Isn't that what Habakkuk says later? God the Lord is my strength. Not food, not pleasures. God is my strength. My joy isn't my pleasures and my, my necessities in life. My joy comes from God. God is. If I have God and nothing else, that's enough. And I'm going to be rejoicing. I'm going to be thankful. I'm going to take joy. If the Babylonians take my house, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. If the Babylonians take my food, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. If the Babylonians take my wine, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. If the Babylonians take my children, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. If the Babylonians take my wife, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. That's what he's saying. He's resolving to do that. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's he makes me tread on my, on my high places. That's straight out of Psalm 18. David, after he is rescued by God from the hand of Saul, says this, For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless, he made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heavens. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. David's looking back and going, God, when I was running from Saul and when I, when I was driven out away from my home and when I was going through all the difficulties hiding in the mountains, scared to death for my life, You were my strength. You gave me abilities I didn't think I had. You gave me ability to, to, to run up in the mountains like a, like a deer does. And I think Habakkuk's playing that soundtrack now and going, God, as you were with David and as you were with the people of Israel, as you were with Moses, God, I'm going to trust you now as I go through this stuff. will trust you now his trust isn't based on just some empty promise his trust is based on a god who has powerfully helped in the past can i ask why do we sing about the cross it reminds us of his love why do we sing of his resurrection it reminds us of his power. And when we go through our stuff, we're to sing about what Christ has done. 
That's our God. Apostle Paul, Philippians, he's chained to a guard in a prison cell. And I love what he says. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but have had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. Oh, he's in prison. He, the pleasures of life are certainly gone. Maybe some of the necessities. Not, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to be abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I don't know your situation. But I do know our God. And he can be trusted. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven. You are good to us. That's evident. You went to the cross. You gave your life. Thank you. You showed us mercy when, you, when we should have received wrath. We don't deserve your grace. There's not one of us who is righteous. Not one of us who, who fully loves you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And yet, you mercifully came to give your life. Thank you. And three days later, Father, your son not only stayed in the grave, but he rose from the grave never to die again. And he promises us if we trust in him and his work, that you will someday raise us to newness of life and send us for eternity to be with you. Lord, in our day-to-day -day activities, in our week-to-week -week struggles, in our year-after-year -year stuff in this world. Help us to be a people who trust you and obey you like the prophet Habakkuk. In your name we pray. Amen.